O Absalom, my son, my son, would I have died instead of you? We've seen David at his greatest moments, and we've seen David at his worst. Here, David holds his son, his dead son in his arms, wishing that he could take his place, looking back over the events of his life, I'm sure, replaying the times that they played together, the, the mistakes that he had made, perhaps that he'd contributed to this moment somehow as a parent, the way they ended up here together, and yet so far apart. The true story of David and Absalom and Joab, who we find here, is a bit like looking at a picture on a wall that's framed with and set behind a piece of glass. You know how when you look at a picture, uh, you can see in not only the picture, but in the glass sort of a reflection of your own image, kind of different version of yourself, but you can kind of see it from the right angle. It's the very same thing with these words of our text today. We see three people in this picture. Joab, the friend, and Absalom, the son, and David, the parent. And yet, if we look closely, as we'll do today, this text shows us a bit about ourselves in each of these three men. Friend, a child, a parent, maybe you are certainly a friend, and you've been a child, and you, maybe you are a parent as well. I'd like you to ask yourself over the next few minutes, which one am I most like? Because my hope is that we'll see something of ourselves in these three people in history who the scriptures have recorded for us to look closely at on this very day. First, Joab, then Absalom the child, and then David the parent. So first, before we do any of that though, before the first thing, the very first thing we have to do is back up a bit and get a running start. Our text picks up in 2 Samuel chapter 18, but since we last left our hero David last week, we looked at David and his reaction when he was caught in adultery with Bathsheba. When the prophet Nathan came to him, Pastor Micah was preaching, we looked at what real repentance looks like that we ought to focus on, not simply on Ash Wednesday or one really day of the year, but how Luther said that's a daily thing for us. David's been caught in adultery. He tried to cover it up. He had Bathsheba's wife killed. And now David's family is growing. He marries Bathsheba. The child that they had conceived in the affair has died very shortly after birth. So he's lost a son already. The text goes on to tell us that David had a number of wives, at least eight wives, and at least 20 children. Many of them in the scriptures aren't named. And one of the sons that David had, his name was Amnon, and Amnon uh, decided to assault his sister Tamar. Uh, uh, Absalom was 
the brother from another one of the marriages, he gets back and avenges the, the, the wrong done to Tamar and takes his brother Amnon's life, and then he goes into exile. Just a quick aside, whenever we see polygamy portrayed in the Old Testament, it's never endorsed. It's always displayed in such a way to show the harm and the conflict that ensues as a result of it. So you remember David with Sarah and Hagar. You remember Jacob with Leah and Rachel, and here we've got David, we've got Solomon that follows this. Never a good thing, it's always a harmful thing. And so Absalom, back to him, he flees in exile. Years go by, he returns to Jerusalem, and years go by before he ever is reunited with his father, David. Never really goes to his court, David never really sends for him. They're reunited very briefly, this short encounter. But the emphasis of the narrative throughout the chapters right before 2 Samuel 18 is on the distance between them. Absalom shunned, likely hurt by his father, who turned his back on him. This is the same guy who wrote, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. To some degree, he seems unwilling to show that to his own son, Absalom. And so to get back at his dad, Absalom sets himself up outside the gates of the city as a judge. And so everybody who walks into the city, they've got a problem, Absalom's your guy. He raises a great following for years, a following that is so great that David has to flee the city of Jerusalem despite the fact that he's the king. He musters his army. He fights back against Absalom who flees himself and in the middle of this narrative, we have this sort of curious aside, this description about Absalom. It says this, chapter 14, that in all Israel, there was not a man so highly praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the top of his head to the sole of his foot, there was no blemish in him. And whenever he cut the hair of his head, he used to cut his hair once a year because it became too heavy for him. He would weigh it, and its weight was 200 shekels by the royal standard. 200 shekels, that's five pounds of hair. <laughs> Which must be a nice problem to have. I can only imagine. Am I right, Sean? You know what I'm saying. David flees, musters his army. Absalom flees. David gives direct orders to his generals, in the hearing of all Israel, all the army, not to lay a hand on him, but to go easy on him. And so in his flight, Absalom, he's on a donkey, and his hair gets caught in a tree. The donkey keeps going. Absalom is hanging by his hair. Joab learns of this. And he comes, and with three javelins, drives them into the heart of Absalom, and he's dead. That's our story so far. Now let's look carefully in, at the picture. Because I think there's something of ourselves in these three men. One's a friend, one's a child, one's a parent. First to Joab who I'm sure probably has good intentions, thinking that he's doing David a favor. Uh, maybe he was angry at Absalom for his rebellion against the king. Uh, maybe 
He's thinking to himself, you know, if, if somebody doesn't do something, if I don't step in now, things could get worse later. But at the end of the day, we're not quite sure. All we know is that Joab takes matters into his own hands despite the fact that he had orders from David. How about you? Whether you're a general or you're good with a javelin or not. Maybe despite good intentions, you found yourself thinking, if if this doesn't change now, it could get worse later. And somebody's got to do something. And that someone to do something now is me, because this isn't good. And for that matter, I'm not good, whether you're conscious of this or not. It's sitting still and resting and letting someone else be responsible for themselves. I've got to get up off the sidelines because I won't sit and watch because this has got to get better. Good intentions. You know what's often behind that? An inner need to have things right, to be right, a discomfort when things aren't black or white, when they're gray and in the middle, when things aren't good around us, the false belief that, that I've got more control than I really do, the false belief in my own power that, that I'm the only one who can do something about it. And at the end of the day, it's fear it's perfectionism, an inner need to get things right, an inner need to be okay, to be right on the inside. Do you see yourself when you look at Joab? Do you see yourself in the reflection? Joab, the friend, even with good intentions, Absalom, the child. The name that he was given at his birth, Absalom in English, is Av Shalom in Hebrew. Av, the prefix there, it means father. So Father Abraham, Av, Abraham's name. Shalom, the word for peace, which means more than just sort of peace on earth in a general way. It means peace inside in a personal way. When things make sense, when we're at rest, and the person, the best version of ourselves, the person that we long to be, and not just on the inside, but on the outside around us, when this world is the place that our hearts long for it to be, shalom, the shalom of God that will come to earth when Jesus returns. Av Shalom Absalom, father of peace, that's his name. But in his wake is anything but peace. It's destruction, it's conflict, it's div- divisiveness. And dis- Have you heard that phrase? Hurting people hurt people. Hurting people hurt people. I think that's helpful to keep in mind 
when we're hurt and wounded by the people around us, even the people closest to us. I think that's important to keep in mind for ourselves. When we're not the best version of ourselves, when we do and say the things that we don't want to do and say, that there's something deeper on the inside going on inside of us. It's not just the fault of the people on the outside of us or the circumstances around us either. Hurting people hurt people. I can only imagine that Absalom was hurt by his own dad. Shunned. Again, so visceral. We all need to remember this for ourselves to connect to the fact that, remember David says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Unwilling to show that to his son until it's too late. That we need to remember for ourselves that because we have been shown mercy and forgiveness, it's the power that, that enables us to show mercy and forgiveness to the people around us, especially the ones who are closest to us. How dare we withhold that from them? But Absalom's a son. He's a kid. Even as a grown man. And even as grown people, no matter how old or how young we are, we're still longing to measure up to some degree. There's a longing inside of us to measure up in the eyes of our parents. So let me ask you, do you see yourself in the reflection when you look at Absalom? Aware of the lack of peace, the brokenness, the hurt, the woundedness inside you? Do you find yourself longing for peace, not just inside, but on the outside? Do you ever find yourself wondering if the people around you, for the, that they love you for the real you that you are? Joab the friend, Absalom the child, David the parent. It's a popular conversation, and for good reason, in modern therapy today, to ask the question, to what degree has our family of origin left an imprint from our past upon our present? David's family of choice, the family that he's leading is pretty messed up. I mean, this story, the true story, looks more like a reality TV show than the Brady Bunch. Maybe David was a better warrior and king than he was a dad. And perhaps his grief is magnified. I'm not sure, but, but I can't help but wonder. Perhaps his grief is magnified as he regrets the mistakes that he made as a parent. How about you? If you're a parent, there's always more to do, am I right? I mean, you find yourself wondering, uh, did I do enough? Or for that matter, do the things that I see in my kids today, are they somehow reflective of the choices that I've made growing up, the things that I've said to them or done in their presence? I was talking to a good friend of mine on Friday about parenting, and he said, how do kids spell love? T-I-M-E. 
Do you see yourself in the reflection when you look at David? Because maybe you're like one of these three people. Joab, the friend. Absalom, the child. Even as a grown man. And David, the parent. Are you like one of them? Which one are you most like is the real question. Maybe you've been hurt by someone like one of them. David, wounded in his grief, is no stranger to loss. Lost his first son born to Bathsheba. Lost his son Amnon. Lost his son Absalom. He had no choice against his will. This won't be the last time in the scriptures that we see a father losing his son. God the Father with his son Jesus on the cross. David, he was forced to. God the Father chose to. And on the cross, the son, the only son of God the Father outside the gates of the city the one who will come to judge the living and the dead, as we'll say in just a moment, receive the judgment of God the Father in your place, wounded, shunned, forsaken, experiencing anything else but peace. So that you can receive the Av Shalom, the shalom, the peace of the Father, so that you can be adopted and brought in by grace and loved by a God whose mercy and forgiveness will follow you all the days of your life, so that you can be a, a son of the Father, a daughter of the Father, so that you can be strong in your weakness, strengthened by his power, so that you can be beautiful and lovely and precious in his eyes, so that you can have the peace of the Father, so that you can be the you that you long to be and, and know that he sees you and loves you for the you that you are. And so that he, because you are his, there's a day coming in your future when the peace of God that surpasses all understanding as, as Paul describes it in Philippians chapter four will, will rule, the shalom of God will rule the entire world and this world will be the place that our hearts long for it to be upon the day of his return. Someday. That's yours. But how? Finally, in closing, how can that peace be yours today? I had a dream the other night, a really, really bad dream. It was, was like, I think, Tuesday morning. I woke up. I wasn't sure what time it was. Didn't even want to look at my clock. It was a dream that was so bad that uh, I um, couldn't even tell you, didn't even want to reap tell the story to my wife just ugly visceral I woke up in the dream but I was still dreaming and didn't realize it and then I really woke up and my eyes opened and I wasn't sure if I was in the dream or if I was awake you ever had that happen to you and so I pulled out my phone to distract myself and thought well that'll get my mind off it and that didn't work and so I laid back in bed got out of bed and I went downstairs, got a drink of water, sat down on the couch, just couldn't really shake. It was just that rough. And I remembered that there is a psalm 
about sleep. I wasn't sure which one it was, so I grabbed my Bible. This is the Bible that I use in the mornings, and open to Psalm 1, open to Psalm 2. They're real short. And then I found Psalm 3. Here it is. It says this. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. He says this. O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. My glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. It's a picture from this page on my Bible. You see on the screen behind me. I lay down and slept, and woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I read that, and I read it again, and I read it again, and it took the edge off helped. Did it make it all go away? No. Didn't do that. I think the bourbon that I poured for myself did the rest. That helped. (laughs) You know, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding is not dependent upon your understanding. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, the Av Shalom, the peace of the Father, is not dependent upon how well you feel it. It's dependent upon the word and the promise of Jesus Christ, the one who gave his life and rose from the dead for you. The Son, the Son. Oh, that he has died instead of you so that you can belong to him by grace forever. In the name of Jesus, crucified and risen, for you and for me, amen.